Creative Babble. Hey guys, it's me, Javier. John and I are working on a new season of Criminal Conduct, and we have several story ideas in the work, and we're doing the reporting now. So as soon as something comes up, trust me, you'll be the first to know. But in the meantime, I want to share with you some audio of John and I's recent trip to Dallas, Texas, where we attended the True Crime Podcast Festival. And they asked us to give a presentation on the business of cults. But for some reason, I decided to yell out an obscenity. I don't know why I did it. It just came out of my mouth. But anyways, I apologize. But without further ado, here is John, Taylor, and I on stage at the True Crime Podcast Festival talking about cults. My name is Javier Leva. I'm with the Pretend Podcast. And Rebecca Sebastian was supposed to be here. She's with the Dialogue Podcast and Criminality and the Yellow Tape Trivia. If you've come to uh, these festivals before, you probably know who Rebecca is. And she couldn't be here today. So we did this series on my show, Pretend, called The Business of Cults. And we were going to present today. But instead, I brought my co-host from my other podcast, Criminal Conduct. Yeah. So I'm John Taylor. And I'm the... uh... Settle down, John. (laughs) Jeez. Hey, I'm the I'm kind of like a substitute teacher filling in for uh, Rebecca Sebastian. So uh, we wanted to just kind of move forward, even if uh, unfortunately she couldn't make it. He's pretty smart, but he's no Rebecca. That's, That's true. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so why don't we go ahead and get started? Go ahead. So do you guys want to play a little game? It's called Is it a CEO or a cult leader? All right. So we're going to need some audience participation here. We're going to talk to you about the most urgent thing that is on our mind and what we suspect is the most urgent thing on the minds of those who is to leave with us. So, cult, cult, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's definitely a cult. That's Heaven's Gate, Marshall Applewhite, right? So that one's one's easy. You want to do another one? Yeah, I mean, with this one, I recognized his voice, so I think that helped a lot. But the thing is that um, one of the things that that gets tricky with this is that when they start talking about death and that you have to do some action quickly, that's when I start to think it's a cult, but you'll see there's some issues on both sides with people wanting to do that. All right, let's, let's play again. Let's see. Keep and once you have a family, you start taking risk, not just for yourself, but for your family as well. It gets much harder to uh, do things that might not work out. Um, so now is the time to do that. Before you, before you have those obligations. So I would, I would encourage you to take risks now. Do something bold. You won't regret it. Who said it was a cult leader? No, <laughs> nobody. Everybody said CEO. I no, actually, nobody said both. I heard the correct answer. Who do you think it is? You said you. What'd you say? Yeah, it is Elon Musk. All right. Which I could argue is a cult leader. In a, yeah, in his own I mean, right. that's what I was saying. You could, you could probably go both on this one, maybe. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Let's, let's just keep this going because this is fun. If we can't live in beasts, then let's die in beasts. I'm ready to go. If you tell us we have to give our lives now, we're ready. I'm pretty sure all the rest of brothers are with me. Were you able to hear that? You guys said a preacher? Is that, is that 
Jim Jones. Yeah, cult leader. Definitely cult leader. That was recorded the day that a thousand, almost a thousand people committed mass suicide in Jonestown. So yeah, definitely a cult leader. Let's do one more. One more. One more. One more. For the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death. All right, that, that's a tricky one. I heard CEO, but there's a lot of death talk there. <laughs> what do you guys think? CEO? CEO? Can anybody guess the CEO? It is a CEO. A giant pussy? Is that what you mean? <laughs> that's, that's what I heard. I was like, what? We shouldn't give him a microphone. Oh, you said, you said Jack Dorsey. Gosh. Okay. I was like, why would you say that? <laughs> and why did I say that? You had to repeat it. You had to repeat yeah, what Why wasn't that Topo Choco? <laughs> All right. Yes, that was actually Steve Jobs. He said that. But Yeah, and I, one of the things, I mean, I thought it sounded like a CEO speech, but I'm listening to it and I'm thinking... Why would this be something that would make me want to buy a computer? You know, like, why is it is our work for this guy? Like, nothing that he was really saying made me think that uh, that's a job or it would be selling something. It definitely sounded more like, hey, I've got a idea or concept that you should come with me and, you know, so that your life has purpose. So um, I think it sounded like a CEO, but I definitely was leaning cult on that one. But no. But I'll tell you what, though. I mean, it was an easy game, right? You guys were able to, you got 100, you all passed, right? But it's an easy game, but you could see that the language that CEOs use and cult leaders, they're very similar. They're not talking, the good CEOs, the ones that we admire and worship, are not talking about the product. They're talking about a movement, something that, that's bigger than them. And, you know, they, some common characteristics that CEOs and cult leaders share is that they're very charismatic, they're narcissistic, they're controlling, manipulative, you know, they, there's a study out there, and I might be getting ahead of myself, uh, I'll mention the study later, but, but yeah, I mean, basically, you know, you're not following a cult, you're following a movement, right? Yeah, and I mean, you, you can't really have a cult without a cult leader, you've got to have the leader, and you can have a company without a head, like you can, oh, we, got a, we got some people up there that are taking care of things, but with a cult, you've got to have that strong leader, Nobody's getting excited about the board of directors, right? Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah, and so that's what I was saying. There's a study that says that one in five CEOs have uh, psychopathic tendencies. And now I'm not a you know, forensic psychologist, but, and I don't even know how accurate that study is. But you could kind of see it, right? You could see similar traits. And you know, we have Adam Newman here from, the WeWork, from WeWork. Has, have you guys seen the Hulu documentary? This guy's talking about... Uh, changing the world's consciousness. What the hell does that mean? You're renting desks, dude. I mean, you're not, you know what I mean? Like, so, um, yeah, it's a lot of the same kind of... Yeah, and this is a theme we're going to touch on, but, uh, you know, the, the business, the idea of businesses wanting to embrace the ideas and what cults use, uh, they're thinking that's a positive. And so that, that's kind of something he's doing there. All right, so let's have a baseline here. What is a cult, John? 
Yeah, so there's a number of traits. I mean, the, the definition is varied. But like I said, you've got to have that, that main leader. That's one of the big things. Um, you've got to have a purpose or a cause that you are absolutely passionate about. Like think infomercial passionate, right? Everybody's really excited about that. Um, you've got to have isolation. You don't, you don't have to have it, but that really helps. You want to take people out of their environment. You want to take them away from their family, their friends, people that would basically tell them, hey, what are you doing? You know, asking questions. And the other thing is, it's really important is you can't have dissent in a nope, cult. Not exactly. That dissent would shut down a cult. So you can have intelligent people, but they have to go along with the company line, right? They have to go along with whatever the cult leader is saying. So in a way, it's kind of a stretch to say that businesses are like cults because when we think of cults, we think of the golden age of cults. We think of Manson, Children of God, Heaven's Gate. But those are destructive cults, and, and in a way, they're kind of the minority here. You know, what we're talking about is how the, the businesses and cults follow this really creepy parallel line here. And uh, not all cults are bad. In fact, there are so many cults out there, we just don't call them cults. You might be in a cult, and you just don't even know it, you know? So we're, as time has go, gone on, we, we have to redefine what it means to be a cult. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I was going to say that I think it's more about, I mean, you're a cult, you're not a cult, but it's more of a continuum and kind of where are you on that line mm -hmm. rather than just a, a, fine, a, a hard line in between cult and non-cult, I think. Yeah. This is Jess Betancourt, the host of DNA ID, the only true crime podcast that exclusively covers cases solved using forensic genealogy. DNA ID goes behind the headlines to answer your questions about this remarkable new crime solving tool, how it works, how cases are selected, why the cases were unsolved for so long, and how the justice system is addressing it. I include input from law enforcement to give you the inside scoop that we all crave with a straightforward, no nonsense delivery. You can find DNA ID on any podcast platform. Episodes come out weekly on Mondays. Oh man, we gotta do this again. I've been involved in a number of cults, both as a leader and a follower. You have more fun as a follower, but make more money as a leader. <laughs> Brings up a good point. I had to include Creed in there because he's the best. All right, let's see. So yeah, so we talked about like harmless versus destructive cults. And you know, that's the thing. Not all cults start off as cults, right? They start off as with a mission, with something important. Like, you know, if Jim Jones, for example, he didn't start off by his sales pitch wasn't like, hey, let's all go commit mass suicide. That wasn't like what, what drew people in there. What drew people in there was that he was a civil rights leader. You know, he integrated the church. He uh, was a preacher. Um, you know, I mean, there was something that attracted people to Jim Jones, you know, so, so you, you know, you said it the other day, you know, which is the first rule of the cult is. Right. I was, yeah, the, the first rule when you develop a cult is that you claim that you're not a cult. Like that's very important. So it's, you know, people, you think about people joining cults, not, someone's not coming up to them saying, hey, you want to join a cult. They don't say that. They say, we're not a cult. And then they give you the pitch. Uh, it's a very good marketing pitch, usually, um, and something that probably a lot of businesses try to emulate. Uh, and so, yeah, like with uh, with Jim Jones, he's not telling people, "Hey, this is a, cult, a group that if you join, you're going to kill yourself." Yeah. Um, and so, it's a, a much different approach, and and what than what you would think would uh, get people in there. But this is called the business of cults, right? And what what we find interesting is that cults 
the, fur, the more they mature, they become businesses. And businesses want that secret sauce that cults have, which is going viral or like having people so passionate about your product, product that, that they will defend it to, to the end, right? And so all cults are businesses, but not all businesses are cults. So we, what, what is that secret sauce? Right. Well, like on the on the cult front, I mean, the way it starts out is most of the cult leaders are micromanagers. They need to control everything. They got to control the information. They got to control the behaviors, everything. So that's kind of their their plan. But as they start recruiting and growing, they realize they can't do that. They have to start creating uh, other sectors or other people underneath them. Yeah. And that's when they start looking more like a business. And and most cults are actually legitimate business entities, right? So take, for example, Scientology. It's a huge global um, religion, but also a corporation. And they're like tax exempt, right? So you have these business, these, these cults that, you know, sometimes don't pay taxes and operate like businesses. Um, but let's talk about recruiting because both businesses and cults recruit. And, and it's kind of interesting how, how cults recruit because for those of you who have listened to my show, Pretend, I did a whole season on the Word of Faith Fellowship, which is a cult in Western North Carolina. And what's interesting with them, I, I spent the whole day, I interviewed the cult leader for the whole day, and, and I learned a lot. And I've also interviewed a lot of the current cult, cult members and also former cult members. And I want to tell you the story about Matthew Fenner. Matthew Fenner is, was at the time maybe... 17 years old. He's a gay male, not religious. Um, he lives with his mom and his brother, and they're so broke that they're about to live in their car, right? So this is their situation at the time. So he's not Christian. He's not looking to go to church. But here you have this cult that's offering him shelter, but not only shelter, uh, uh, like a, a status upgrade in his life. You know, all of a sudden he could wear nice clothes, he has a nice place to live, food, and they're also offering him the opportunity to go to college. But he has to give something up there. So a cult, like a business, is exploiting whatever hole is missing in your life. You know, they're filling in that gap for you. And Matthew was the exchange there that he had to suppress his own sexuality. He had to conform to their, their rules. And ultimately, it was not a, a good match because he he left the cult. But the same thing happens with the business. You know, a, a good successful business or a good successful, successful brand is going to offer you something for nothing at first to the point where you're so dependent on it. And we were making fun of Apple and the Apple fail that I had today. But guess what? I'm only going to buy Apple and I will continue even after this uh, crazy presentation. I will continue to buy Apple. You know why? Because at school, that's what we used and that's what I'm used to. And they gave it to me and now I'm hooked, right? Yeah, I think the example you use though with Matthew is a good one because, you know, people, how do you get into a cult? You just, that doesn't make any sense. But th this young kid, he did a cost benefit analysis. You know, he said, I need to go to college. You know, I I, I, there's things I want. This fellowship, they didn't refer to themselves as a cult. This fellowship can provide these things. What do I have to do in exchange? Well, I have to take a part of me and I have to kind of tuck that away. And at the time, he thought that cost-benefit analysis was worth it. Um, and so it's, that's a different mindset than thinking that he's just a sheep or something that, that fell for their jargon and went for it. 
Um, how many of you work for a corporation or have been part of a hiring process at work? How many times have you ever said, I think this person is not a good fit? Or you either said it or you've heard it, right? That is very cult-like language, okay? Corporations are cults too, okay? Being a good fit means that you're not like me. And so you end up hiring people that are exactly like you. And that's what a cult does. A cult is, they're not going to accept any Tom, Dick, and Harry. They're going to, they, they need the right person, the good fit. And you hear it all the time. Uh, yeah, and I would say cults are much better than companies at doing this, right? Because they're not going to allow dissent. They're only wanting people to come in that are a good fit. If you're not a good fit, you're out. Right. But companies, that's what they want to do. And it's not really a positive when companies do this. Um, but they're not nearly as good as cults. I mean, they, they hire people all the time that aren't good fits. Um, what are some stereotypes when you, um, when you think of a cult member? What, what are some stereotypes that come to mind? They're, they're sheep. They're stupid. They're followers. And you know what? Good one. Most of those are wrong because cult members, at least the one I've talked to and the ones that I've researched, are very smart. Cults don't want stupid people in their cults. No, they want smart people. But what the, the thing with cult members is that, like we said, like Matthew Fenner, he needed a place to belong, right? So when, when I think of cults, these are people who want to be part of, of, a, of a group and they um, want to be individual. And, and that, that's the weird, strange paradox is that cult members want to express their individuality, but from the outside, it looks like they're just conforming. And why is that, John? Yeah, that's a, that is an interesting one because um, the example that I, I use on that one is that like when I was a teenager at the malls, the goth kids would hang out together. And if you're looking at the goth kids, they all look the same. You know, they got like whatever, they, they're, they're, they got like kind of white makeup, they're wearing black clothes. But to them, they're being individuals. They're different than everybody else. We're not dressing like other people. We're all individuals. And so I, that's kind of how I see a lot with the cults is that from the outside, they all look the same, but to them, they feel like they're being different than everyone else. So they're being individual. It's all right. Like, yeah. Cults are like businesses. They're big cults and there's little cults. Most of them start up like startups, right? They, they're like the Silicon Valley companies. They, they have a very charismatic CEO who's a control freak. He's, he or she is like in charge of everything. No, no decisions can be made if the cult leader doesn't approve it. And they're very energetic. They get things done, you know? But just like businesses, you hit a, a ceiling, right? Like you can't, can't grow because the cult leader can't do everything. The cult leader cannot be everywhere all the time. So what happens? Right, he's gotta bring in people below him that are gonna do recruiting and, and all, a lot of those jobs, which is like the middle management. Um, and one of the things is that if done right, and not that I'm like training cult leaders, but if, if, if done right, <laughs> I think it can actually in, uh, raise up their status because now people that are coming in the cult, they haven't met the cult leader, but everybody they're talking to is, oh, he or she is so wonderful, they're so brilliant, they're so charismatic. So there's this mystique that's about them. So if they, if they manage that, that, that rung of, of managers well, it can actually build up kind of their, their status and, and how people in the cult look at them. So I think it's very stressful for cult leaders initially, but if done right, they can really leverage that. I mean, unfortunately, but they can. Yeah. Good cults have middle management, 
Okay, and we all, when we work in a corporation, we know those middle managers, right? The, the assistant regional manager or whatever, but they're the lieutenants. They're the, the people that are, they're driving the message home. They're doing the recruiting. At that point, the, the cult leader could coast. I mean, they take a back seat because these, these are the people doing the dirty work, right? And I can't think of a better example of middle management in a cult than Nexium. You guys familiar with Nexium? Nexium had this crazy hierarchy with sashes. They had colored sashes. And it was all an illusion because it's the way you work your way up. You get like a different color sash and, and Keith Raniere is on top and he has the double white sash or whatever. You're never going to be a double white sash at Nexium. That's, it's all an illusion. But they've created this hierarchy and that's how a cult grows. And while we're talking about Nexium, I mean, we got to talk about MLMs, right? Before, before we got, I'm just curious, how many of you have ever done like LuLaRue or been involved in MLMs? Yeah. Any Tupperware any MLM, parties? Any MLMs? Yeah. No, no. Okay. But we all know them, right? Like we all know somebody on our Facebook group that's been part of an MLM. Yeah. And so there, there are two things here. One is that Nexium is actually a cult within a cult, right? Because mm -hmm. there's Nexium, but then there was also the inner sex cult. Yeah. Right. So they, they're kind of special in that way. And then they were also a mar multi-level uh, marketing firm, MLM. And so this is the part of the uh, presentation where Javier and I had a lot of issues because we're like, we can't dovetail just into MLMs. Yeah, because we talk about them all they day. Feel, they have very, very specific cult-like activities as far as uh, that they're, they're presenting one piece of information, which is, you know, it's all about the products, but they're really all about the recruiting. Which and is, the lifestyle. And the lifestyle. And, the and that, you know, it's us versus them and, and all these things. And, you know, you can't fail if you don't quit. And, you know, like these things that are very much pulling you in and creating this really strong culture. And so they're really good at, uh, at, at doing the cult-like things as well. So John and I have visited uh, a cult business because, you know, we, this is what we do in our spare time. We, <laughs> we were doing research. No, but uh, seriously, there's a, a cult that you may or may not be aware of, 12 Tribes. Have you guys heard of the 12 Tribes cult? Well, it's uh, the 12 Tribes started in the 1960s as part of the Jesus movement. That's where we get the, the term Jesus freak. They, they are kind of hippy-dippy, they, but they try to live as close as possible to you know, the Bible, and they're very religious. But they have uh, a business that we visited, right, John? Yeah. So uh, you want to talk about the Yellow Deli? Yes. yes. Okay. So Javier and I met for lunch at this cafe called the Yellow Deli. It's in a small town in the middle of North Carolina. And it, by the way, it's a global franchise. They have them in Argentina, Japan, everywhere. So, and we're not we're not endorsing <laughs> the Yellow. Deli. It may sound like it. It's going to be a lot of positive things to say. But uh, and so we went there to go to lunch, and we knew going in that this is run and owned, and the all the employees are cult members. Uh, so you've got that skepticism going in. And they work for free, and it's open 24 hours a day. But yeah, so we get in there, and I mean, the first thing was that Javier, like, I'm trying to play cool. He is total journalist. I mean, he must have asked 25 questions before we had even ordered. I'm just like, leave the waiter alone. Like, we are going to get thrown out of here. Like, we're just trying to have lunch. They actually use their yellow delis as a form of recruitment. So it's not that weird that I was asking that many questions, because they just reached over and grabbed some pamphlets. They're, they're ready for, to convert you. Right. And they even asked us to stay at their motel, which, <laughs> which we declined. 
Okay. But but that's the Yellow Deli is just one business that the 12 tribes owns. The 12 tribe has a, a furniture business. They make soaps that they sell to other corporations. They um, have the salmon that was the special of the day. They have a salmon fishery out in Alaska. This is a well-run business. I mean, it's a global business. Yeah, and so, I mean, obviously, we were both rooting that the food would be terrible, the service would be terrible, right? It would be a lot of, No, the food is unbelievable. I mean, so it was delicious. Probably, they make their own bread. Yeah, the, I mean, the best sandwich I've had in five years. <laughs> I don't know. Like, We didn't want to like it, but it was really good. We were, we were really trying not to like it. And I got so much crap on TikTok when I posted, because I, I shot like an undercover video, you know, like just to show people what the Yellow Deli was like. And people were like, how could you support them? Support this cult? And, and I was like, well, it's part of the research. But anyways. Yeah, I was doing a lot of internal rationalization. Like if I lived here, how many times would I go here a week? Um, then I'd be like, well, maybe they're not doing bad things here. You know, like you just, all of a sudden, I was like, this is so good. But I got to say, Look, there, this cult is not all sunshine and rainbows and unicorns, okay? They, they obviously, these employees work for free. Now, from our observation, those employees did not look disgruntled. They were very nice, very nice people. But this cult has been accused of forced labor, obviously, right? And also child abuse, where they beat the children in the cult. And these people that work for the Yellow Deli, Sure, they give them shelter, they give them food, and they seem healthy and they seem happy. But the moment that they're out of, if they ever get out of the yellow or the 12 tribes, they got nothing. They don't have any property, they don't have any credit. They, I mean, and they're it's, solely dependent it's on It's something cult. that businesses do, but in a little different way that we'll get to, is that, I mean, they may actually get more of a benefit from not being paid because of all that they're getting. I mean, they're getting shelter, they're getting fed, they're getting all this stuff. So short term, it might actually be okay for them. But what Javier and I were talking about is though, if you decide to leave, right, which is what they want to prevent, if they decide to leave, you leave with nothing. You don't get a 401k, you don't have money in your pocket. So if you worked at, say, McDonald's, you may be actually making less than if you worked for free at the Yellow Deli. But if you left, you're going to have some money, you got a paycheck, they have it to you. So it's kind of a sneaky little thing that they're doing which is they're making it very enticing for you to stay and doing everything they can to keep you from leaving. So there's huge exit costs. Yeah. And it's something that we're gonna to get to here in a bit that the businesses do as well. All right, so the 12 tribes is a cult that is a very, run like a business, but how about, let's talk about a business that's run like a cult. Who's wearing Lululemon right now? Okay, <laughs> who owns Lululemon? Oh man, wow, that was, that was impressive. Okay, well, I've never seen a Lululemon ad in my life. Maybe they exist. I don't know. Maybe I'm just the wrong target audience. But this company spends very little on advertisement, yet they sell $98 leggings, right, that my daughter says that she needs in order to fit in, right? How does that happen? You know, how did they get to that point? Now, Lululemon has been around for, for a long time. Actually, it's been around longer than I was shocked. It was like, it's been around for like decades. And funny enough, the, the CEO, Ch uh, Chip Wilson, he's um, kind of this yoga dude, spiritual leader. I mean, he's not a cult leader. Like, I don't want to go that far, but he has kind of the, 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 the characteristics of a cult leader. And I mean, we've just been doing so much research on Lululemon because I'm fascinated by it. It's like, how did, how did they become such a, like, a, a, must-have brand 
And I mean, what yeah, do you I was gonna, I was gonna say, so they're, they're yoga pants, they're crazy expensive, they're like $100. And, but it's one of those things that if somebody's wearing them and you push, you're, what are you, why are you paying $100? You can get them for 20. Um, you will get a fight on your hands from the person wearing them. They're going to justify that $100. So these are customers, they're not somebody that's gone to corporate training or anything, but their brand is so strong that they've got all these people, thousands if not millions of people out there that are fighting for their, their brand and telling people how good it is. And I mean, that's what so many companies are striving for. And you know, that's what cults do, right? They are so powerful. Everybody in that cult, when they're out, they're talking positively uh, about that cult. Um, and one of the things I want to point out again, uh, sorry, going back to the Yellow Deli, is that they did, I mean, Javier teed them up. I mean, they, they, he asked every single question you would ask if you were trying to get into a cult. So he did do that, but it was still a soft sell. I mean, they weren't trying to push no. us. And uh, going back, I mean, if you've ever had lunch with somebody who's in an MLM, uh, you're, that, the, the cult was a much softer sell. I would much rather have- Much softer I sell. would much rather have lunch yes. with a cult leader than an MLM yes. any day. I mean, yeah. the implications of saying yes to the cult member are much worse, yeah. but it's a much softer sell. You, you feel much more comfortable. I felt much more comfortable with our waiter. And, and cult leaders are a lot more them. interesting, yeah, for sure. Yeah. But you know, the, this thing, that the secret sauce to Lululemon, the only thing that we could think of is the tipping point. Like Ma Malcolm Gladwell says, that every movement or brand has this tipping point where it just catches fire. Like imagine uh, a, a cascading effect of matches just catching on fire. It's, it's just this moment that every brand wants to, to have, but not every brand could achieve, right? Yeah, and this tipping point concept, because I mean, Javier and I have been knocking around a lot of this stuff about cults and businesses and you know, it's like we're almost like pro-cult when we're talking about the businesses <laughs> and know, it's we're like so, we're all over the place. We're, we're sounding a little culty. Yeah, exactly. But one of the things is that the tipping point also applies to people who join a cult and it also applies within, we're going to talk about corporate culture. And so Javier and I were talking a lot about like our orientation at different companies and you're sitting in that first meeting and sometimes they go on and on. And it's like clockwork orange, yes. you know? And, and they're reading you these platitudes and these things. They're way too excited about something. And you're just sitting there like, this is just a job. Like, what is everybody so excited about? But you know there's people in that room that are like, yes, you know, I'm taking that mission statement. I'm putting it on my living room wall. Yeah. And they're so excited. And, and we were, like, trying to figure like, out, like, what is it that Javier and I are there going, like, why yeah. is everybody so excited about working here? Do you guys have that, like, when you're on a Zoom call and you see all the faces? Because that didn't happen, like, pre-COVID, right? Like, we were all in a meeting and we could just look anywhere. But now we're, like, forced to look at people's faces. And some of these people are like really excited drinking the corporate Kool-Aid. And have you ever wondered like, why don't I feel like that? Like, right, yeah. do, you, do you ever have that feeling or is it just us? Maybe we yeah. just need to find a new job. We, we had way too many discussions <laughs> about why is everybody else so much more fired up about work than we are, regardless of what job we had. This is not live streamed or anything, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I've, I've had a boss who told me that he gets... Um, the CEO wrote an email and he emails himself that email to every Monday. It just comes and hits his inbox again because it inspires him so much. And I'm thinking, that's really weird. <laughs> right. That, that's like the eye roll email. And he's yeah. like changed his life with that. Yeah. Yeah. Have you never read our core principles? Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's, it's really interesting, this parallel. I mean, we can talk about cults and businesses all day long but i mean really like do, do you guys have any questions for us or i mean we could, there's so many tangents that we could go on so hit us up it could be about cults it could be about 
pretend criminal conduct twisted, whatever you guys want. No? All right. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, so the word of faith that the one, the cult that Matthew Fenner is in, he, um, he's great. He's um, maybe has finished medical school at Duke. He's doing great. Awesome success story. And um, I believe his mom got out, which is awesome. But the, the actual church itself, because of the publicity that I think that the podcast had, they've actually kind of settled down a little bit. I have not heard any more um, allegations of abuse. They would lock, it's a female run cult and they um, would lock the men and the children in isolation. And they do this uh, form of deliverance where they scream at you. And it's not words. They, they're screaming like, ah, crazy. But, but uh, all that is weird, but not illegal. So I, all the illegal stuff has kind of settled down as far as I know. You know, um, we, we covered a lot of cults. Rebecca Sebastian, as part of the Business of Cults um, series, she visited a cult too. And it was the cult from Seinfeld. Do you guys remember the cult from Seinfeld? The carpet cleaning, yeah. Yeah. So that, that was actually based off of a real cult that's in New York City, and they have this antique shop. And so her assignment, I, we went to the Yellow Deli. She went to the, to the carpet cleaner cult. And, and she had this very similar experience. She thought that the employees were super nice. And uh, we were both nervous when we went to our respective cults, but uh, we were found out that they're just people, just like us, you know? They just happen to be in a cult. That's, a, I'll definitely look that up. I mean, I, I can't um, speak to that one because I, I didn't know about that one, but, but it, you could already tell they're trying to rewire this child's brain. For, he did, can't even speak yet, but they're using, it's, it's like Pavlov, right? Yes, behavior modification. And, and you know, I, my expertise is con artist, right? But I feel like cults, are just a different flavor. Long con. Yeah, they're, they're, they're con artists that re-offend their victims just over and over and over again. Because most con artists, they, they you know screw you over and then they move on to the next guy. But cult leaders, just, they, they will suck you dry until you, know, you have nothing. You know? But I mean, to your point about the children, I think that's one of the things that gets a lot of cults into trouble is that when they start, they, they realize that they have to if there's another generation coming up, they got to get control. They want to want to kind of get that brainwashing going, and the the abuse of the children. You'll see that a lot in the news. That's where you know law, law enforcement, and the authorities can get involved and and shut down these organizations. It's what they're doing to the children, uh, which is horrible. But at least it, it brings it to an end. You know, uh, has anybody read Amanda Montel's book Cultish? It's it's a great book, and she's a linguist, and her her whole shtick is about redefining what a cult is, like. Peloton is a cult, you know, all these companies that, that, that have movements, you know, SoulCycle and all that, they're, CrossFit, yeah, CrossFit, hey, let's go, uh, you know, like slip our, our discs with a thing, <laughs> like who, like, that's. I can tell you've done a lot of CrossFit. Yeah, yeah, I'm, well, you could tell, I mean, we didn't have to like say it, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Yeah, any other questions? Um, that from that was in Scientology? Have I personally talked? Or just, oh yeah, 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 yeah. That, the gaslighting and that, that's part of the whole thing. So I'm, I'm gonna go to, back to the cult that I know because it's, there's so many, but Word of Faith Fellowship is the cult that I know. And they specifically, once you join the cult, they make sure that they separate you from your friends and your family so you can't communicate to them. 
okay? Um, if they have a funeral, like if somebody dies, only select people that are friendly to the cult could go visit the cult. But if you leave the cult, which Jane Whaley, the cult leader, says that you can leave whenever you want, of course, right? Um, you can leave as long as you don't speak uh, negatively about the church, but that never works out. Because if you leave, that was a slight to them, and they will resent you forever, and they will do everything possible to, to try to destroy you financially. Or Oh, that's another thing. So when we talk about the business of cults, so the Word of Faith Fellowship, everyone that works there has their own business. So they, they breed lawyers, right? They're all lawyers. They have a trucking company. All their profits go back to Jane Whaley, to the cult leader. So that's another thing. I mean, she, um, it's, it's a very profitable cult, you know? All right. Well, if that's it, thank you so thank much. Thank you, guys. We were the closing act. Look. <laughs> All right. So, uh, thanks for coming. Creative Babble.